Welcome to the New Joe Chuan Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamins. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. This week we're going to continue our discussion on Grandmaster Sun Ludong making the shift from his Xingyi Chuan to his Bagojang. We're going to talk about uh, our own experience training both Xingyi and Bagojang. Then we're going to get into how Sun Ludong met Chen Tinghua, his main Bagua teacher, and how Cheng's teaching sort of led Sun on this journey to go more into Taoism and to explore the connections between Taoism and his martial arts. Uh, so then we're going to look at the sort of overall connection between Bagua and Taoist meditation. Thanks for listening. Take care and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Neijia Chen Podcast with Isaac and Jess. Today we're continuing to talk about the famous Chinese martial arts master Sun Ludong. And he was well known for participating in all three of the Chinese internal martial arts, Tai Chi, Xing Yi, and Bagua. And we've been talking a lot about his Xing Yi because that strand of Xing Yi flowed down to Liu Hongjie, the master we've been profiling a lot over the last uh, couple seasons. And so now we wanted to look a little more at the Bagua as taught by Master Sun Ludong. And this is kind of fortuitous because right around now is when we were going to shift the, the, the season from our Xingyi discussion and move more into a discussion of Bagua. So we spent quite a bit of time breaking down Xingyi masters and some of their teachings. Now we're going to move into a new phase where we're going to talk more about Bagua from some of the same folks who are involved in the Xingyi part, but also new teachers that we'll be looking at, all of whom were part of the martial arts education of Liu Hongjie back in the 1920s and 30s. Sun Ludong was the uh, sort of the godfather of what we call internal martial arts. Right? He, he, mm-hmm. he took the notion that there were these martial arts that were, that shared common practices, common sort of origins and those being Tai Chi, Xing Yi, and Bagua, and that they were a quote-unquote mm. internal family versus uh, external martial arts. And this this was a sort of radical notion of the time, you know, this idea that... Organizing with his fellow teachers to build these more like preservation organizations that spreading martial right, arts right, right, right. and teaching himself, he's, he's helping to build up the... And so culture. So to what you were saying, the connection to Liu Hongjie is that he taught a couple of well directly taught one of leo's teachers and then sort of indirectly there was a lot of back and forth uh i remember one time when we interviewed bruce as we were leaving the restaurant he kind of grabbed my arm and he said you know my teacher met sun ludong and it was he's like you know it wasn't just some guy in a book it was a real person that he knew and it was like made a point that it was it, it it was right there like you said he was in the middle of this like renaissance and sun Sun ludong was kind of the uh michelangelo of the group (laughs) and it's not so long ago it's a few generations back so this is basically 100 years ago in 1922 this type of stuff is going on and here we are 100 years later sort of looking through the lens of the books that have been published and translated into english and the pictures and the stories 
and trying to get a sense of this this flowering of internal martial arts during that time period yeah, that and, Master Leo Hung Jae was part of. And still 100 years later, I mean, Sun Ludong's writings are some of the best <laughs> out there. So you, yeah. there's a... And there continues to be debates. Like we were talking a few episodes back, Master Zhao from Zhang Zhaodong School saying, you know, quit talking about internal martial right. arts and get out there and prove it. Yeah. You know, and here's... And Sun Ludong takes a little more civilized aspect. He's all about that self-cultivation and... And becoming a gentleman and a scholar and a learned person through the practice of martial arts and the morality involved. The, the intellectual side. Of <clears throat> There's an intellectual side. And that that debate continues to this very minute as people take up arms on both sides. And right. to me, I think there's truth on both sides. I think there, martial arts is about definitely about fighting and winning. Yeah. And yet at the same time, there's some cool principles involved in the three internal martial arts that I do think can well, be self-cultivation skills. Yeah. And I think there was that piece that he had proven himself as, mm-hmm. as a martial artist enough right. that when he did this, people couldn't say much to dispute it because he had, mm-hmm. he had done all three with like the top guys of the, you know, that were alive at the time. So Mm-hmm. Really... and he proved himself in combat yeah. by winning right. matches then when he spoke about philosophy it meant a lot more than someone who's just making up philosophy and doesn't have that you know foundation to back it up yeah well before we jump into sun ludong there's, there's this sense of Xingyi and bagua coming together when we were learning we both came to Xingyi and bagua in different directions what what was your experience when you first came to bagua um why well, had an interesting beginning with it which is i tried to do it i did like a seven eight week session of it and i really weekly class yeah in, like uh, we, fairfax yeah, yeah weekly classes and uh i just couldn't it, it didn't make sense and i couldn't really <laughs> do it and it, it felt very awkward and just uh, too many instructions and stuff to try and follow or yeah, and, and things that didn't make sense to me, for example, the, the one that always sticks in my head is he kept saying, kick them with your hand, right? This idea that your foot is driving your hand forward. That made no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, so I just kind of left it off to the side because very soon after that, he started teaching Xingyi and it was like, oh, this makes sense. And, and I started mm. doing uh, Tai Chi and Xingyi around the same time. Um and it just, those kind of were more natural. And Bagua mm. had this sort of almost supernatural thing where it was like, <laughs> you're doing things that don't happen in normal life, right? Like you're, you're turning in ways that you don't ever have to turn. Mm. Where, where Shingi and Tai Chi mm. had more movements that you would just do, like if you were opening a door or picking something sure. up or chopping wood. Sure, things, sure, things, yeah. You know, things I was familiar with. Plus, the attitude of Shingy was just, you know, smash the person. And as a person who's, you know, six foot and 200 pounds, it was easy to just kind of use my body weight and my, right. my strength. It lends itself to your size and attitude quite nicely. Yeah, well, at first, I didn't have anything but that. So it was like, well, at least I can just stand here and, right. you know, be kind of large. And that works to <laughs> some degree. Um where with Bagua, it was, you know, people were running circles around me because I was like, what, huh? What's happening? Where's it going? And <laughs> Well, Master Sun Ludong starts off as really this thin young kid when he first gets into Xingyi. So he comes from that slim, uh, 
you know, angle, angular shingy approach yeah. that might be less of, less of a comfortable fit at first, but definitely built his power. Yeah. Not exactly. You're my body type, but, uh, right. Yeah. So I, I guess when I first started off, I felt found my way into, I had been doing Aikido as a teen for a long time. And then when I came across this guy who was doing Tai Chi in the park and I saw him start doing the circle walking stuff, I was like, Oh, wow. Cause all the arm movements and the sweeping footwork was totally natural to me. That's mm. exactly what Aikido does. Right. You, you do the 180 turns and you sweep your legs back and forth and the arms even swing in big circles. And I was like, geez, that looks awfully familiar. And not only that, I had been reading about Tao Te Ching and mm. I Ching and stuff. And once I heard it was Bagua, I was like, oh yeah, like, I want to get into this philosophy and this, right. you know, all the different mystical elements of it. So I was just a natural sucker for like Bagua imagery and shapes and got into the circle walking. And, but I knew something was missing because I just couldn't, you know, every, when we first met, I have, we've said on the podcast repeatedly, I was like, I tried to punch, but my arm would buckle in. I just somehow couldn't quite make the movements work offensively. And that's why I went on a quest to find Shingy, but everywhere I'd go, the Shingy people were more interested in doing Bagua. Hmm. And I've, even when I found you and Kumar's class that, you know, Shingy was already over by then. So it was all about Bagua. And I just kept seeking where I could find Shingy. And it wasn't until later I finally came across somebody and some folks who were willing to do it with me and put in the hours and working with you. And finally, we got Kumar to teach it to us as well that I that that power helped fill in for me and get that stability and strength behind my movement that I needed to make my Bagua work a lot better. Yeah, well, that was that 10 years of training I did with Bruce before you showed up was basically the Shingy part of it where right, you know, he, uh, he had been he hadn't been teaching Shingy for a while when we first asked him and he kind of did it reluctantly and uh, it was about it was about seven or eight years that he had weekly classes of it and yeah i think that's one of those things it was just like um it laid the foundation in a way that i could do the internal stuff and and not fall over not lose my balance etc and then when i would try to do the bagua stuff at least i didn't have to worry about is my arm going to buckle or am I going to fall over? Right. I could focus structures and I could focus on actually doing the technique. And one of the big uh, kind of moments was I was doing something with somebody who had, he had always been a Bagua guy the whole time. We started around the same time. He had only done Bagua and he kind of looked down on Shingy and, uh, actually, he'd been doing it a little longer than me, but you know, roughly about the same time. And we were doing something in class, in the Bagua class, and I did a technique and he fell down. And Bruce came over and said something to the effect of, oh, look, he, you know, you bounce, you used to bounce off of him. Now he bounces off of you. Mm. And I, I sort of stood there and I went, yeah, you're right. Like he did. Like I didn't do anything and he just <laughs> fell down. And that was the the moment when I realized that like, I could actually put what I had learned in Shingi into a different container and uh, take it a little bit further, um, which was interesting. I, yeah. I so there's a, that demonstrates that flow between internal martial arts. And it brings me to another point of 
how I kind of feel like if I hadn't had some training in Tai Chi along the way, I don't feel like I could have gotten that much out of the other ones. I feel, there's something about Tai Chi with the emphasis on, on those, the angles and the shapes and the way you, your knee alignments and your arm alignments and your body connections that you do in slow motion. Somehow that's kind of a glue that helps, helps those principles flow in between the other two arts as well. I, I, if you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think the, I mean, the way I put it, sort of in retrospect is I got power and structure from Shingy. I got softness and uh, alignment, I guess, mm, that's from, a good way from, from Tai Chi. And from Bagua, I got how to put it all together into something that can change. And, and that, nice way to put it. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> it works. The idea that, that Bagua is the easiest to adapt right it's the it's the least structured it's like jazz right it has the room for improvisation it has the room mm. for plugging things into it where tai chi and shingy are already sort of in a structure so it's harder to mess around with that structure because you're you would lose what it's doing and so that part of bago i always found fascinating that i remember one time when i was first learning there were these two guys hanging out and one was a big guy and you know, more of a shingy dude. And one was a little Asian guy who had done Bagua and had sort of a broken English. But he said to the big guy, he said, Tai Chi, shingy, Bagua, inside, same, same, outside, different. And the big guy was like, what? I don't understand, you know? And, and it was just funny to sort of hear it in that, oh, right. He, he's, he, you know, and, and that was what Sun Lugong was in that, that, that inside they're all Nejachuan. They're all mm. about internal practices. And um, so it's Nagong skills, pliability, flexibility, right. minute use of small parts of the body that you harness together kind of. Yeah. It just, they're put, they put it together in different structures. And I liked the, I like jazz. I like the idea of, of improvisation. So that always appealed to me. I just couldn't do it. I didn't have the ability to do it. So uh, that's where the shingy and the tai chi got me sort of prepared to do it because you had um, a little bit of both sides. And, and so you, it was easier to put it together. Like, you know, you have the hard and yeah. the, you have the hard and the soft and you can, say okay well if bond between right and 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 bagua is the change in the the line down the middle or something and and it was like right. okay i get this and but it took a long time before i could actually do that it was just the i like the idea and suddenly yeah. was, i mean <laughs> at, at the time i think I, I don't know if people realize this if you wanted to read about bagua there were two books i think that were readily available in english there was the one i forget the, the author but the one with the little characters in it the fighting guys yeah. the little fighting cartoon everybody guys. that was the Yandehua. yeah that's the one that was the like if you had that was the one if you had that everyone was like oh wow and the other was sun Ludong's book and mm. and that was it i mean the, the there weren't any other really good books out there and it was 
So, and then the Bogart Journal came out, which was like, oh, you know, all of a sudden. Yeah, the early 90s, they started breaking a lot of information. But even that was only little bits of it. You know, it was little tastes of what was in these books. And you didn't really get like the whole thing unless you could get your hands on the book. Right. And And now we have Brandon, who's like pumping out awesome translations of of a bunch of different great books. Yeah, and there's, there's, I mean, there's probably at least easily a hundred books you could go and buy them in english where that just wasn't available heck no and forget youtube and everything those are caveman days now the first bagua video i ever saw was lotus shoes and it was like instructional what? Yeah. somebody made a bagua video it was yeah. shocking yeah yeah right that was unheard of at the Thank time you. that was a damn good video it was still is Bill is one of the best ones out there. Which goes to show that all the quantity isn't exactly quality. I mean, there's lots of forms videos out there, sure. but those don't, if you're uninitiated in Bagua, those don't make any sense and they look really stupid. I think Lowe's was one of the ones that let you, what? oh, this movement is for chopping someone right. in the head. Okay. Yeah. And it's that straightforward sort of, and he was another one who, uh, he being Hungi Shang was another guy who, came from a tradition of melding the Shingi, the Tai Chi and the Bagua. So, you know, that, that tradition is pretty strong in a lot of different places, but absolutely. But I think Sun Ludong was kind of the, the, the James Brown of it. You know, he was the, right. he was <laughs> the, godfather, he was the yeah. godfather. Well, let's take a look at Sun Ludong's move from Shingi to Bagua from Ben Judkins, Martial Cultivation Journal. And Ben has a great a website with a bunch of his writings about uh, different parts of Chinese martial arts history. Um, so pulling from his, um, things change radically following the end of Sun Ludong's formal study of Xing Yichun. Sun had gone to Beijing to learn from Guo Yunshen, the famous Xing master with whom he practiced for about eight years. Guo then referred Sun to his friend and fellow martial arts teacher Cheng Tinghua, a second generation Bagua master. Cheng had received his Bagua from the founder, Dong Haichuan. Dong claimed to have learned his style from a mysterious wandering holy man. Most modern martial arts historians, however, credit him as the creator of the style. So this, uh, this is this new teacher he goes to, his, his Xing Yi master says, hey, look, you're ready to do more and, and take it to the next level. I'm going to send you to Cheng Tinghua. And Cheng Tinghua's name is, is kind of the first Bagua master that we're going to profile uh, in this sort of second part of our season. Um, and his name is the most well-known because Cheng Tinghua's Bagua is the most widespread of all the different Bagua styles. And he learned directly from the, the grandmaster, Dong Aichun. So here's a little bit more about Cheng. Cheng Tinghua had a fearsome fighting reputation, and that alone probably would have been sufficient to attract Sun's attention. Yet it is interesting to note that Sun was no longer a young man when he first took up Bagua. Depending on how you date his birth, he was already in his late 20s or possibly 30. Being a professional martial artist at the turn of the century was a strenuous affair. Injuries accumulated. Yeah, (laughs) it feels young now. It's pretty young now. Right. We were once late 20s. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, so Cheng was impressed with Sun and agreed to teach him. The two studied together for three years until Cheng Tinghua pronounced Sun's martial arts education complete. At that point, Cheng advised his student to go out into the world and live the life of a martial artist, gaining the sort of experience that can only come from doing rather than from learning. Sun's daughter reports that he was reluctant to leave at this time, 
but got the following piece of advice from his teacher. If you want to climb the holy platform, it is necessary for you to study the origin and understand the principle of the Ijing. I know that some people in Sichuan province are especially skilled in these theories. You should travel there. Mm, this is that that strain of Bagua as a meditation thing, too. Right? I mean, I think so. So here's this master Chengting Hua, who's as high level as literally they come. And he advises his student Sun Ludong to go seek out knowledge of the I Ching and the mystical side of the Bagua teachings, which is pretty interesting. That and now we and Sun Ludong's books, you can see there's he has a great amount of information and ideas about how to connect those things, I Ching and practice of Bagua. Yeah, I mean, again, I think he was one of the first to really publish it i'm sure other people were doing mm. were doing it and talking about it but he was the first to really right promote that idea right of, and he put that idea out there uh, and tying taoism into it mm. gives it that mm, you know flavor of of antiquity that they like so much so it, it helps kind of if, you, if you're trying to promote it if you can also throw a bit of a Taoist iconography on top of it it gives people something that oh like like you said earlier it was the I Ching stuff and the philosophy that you right that kind of draw drew right. you to that's, it and I, that sucked I, me right in I think that piece of it is quite um appealing to certain it can folks. be yeah and I guess it just brings up the whole idea of the the debate that continues after Sun Ludong till now which is was this Taoist stuff just some sort of marketing slogan that was tacked onto it or is, is, are these arts really deeply intertwined with Taoism? Personally, again, I'd say there's a little of truth to both. For a lot of people, yeah. maybe it was on the surface. But for others who dug way into it, perhaps there was. They did tap into these deeper understandings as part of it. Uh, best I can tell, it was a choice. That if you did Bagua, there was a... Um, a slot available for you to plug in meditation if you wanted to plug in meditation. So for example, the tradition that Leo Hung Jae came from did have a very defined meditation practice that came from, started with Juan Bao and then later with Ma Gui, where he worked on this element of the eight trigrams in Bagua which is a separate thing from the fighting aspects of Bagua, but he had already done that. So, you know, it was just going deeper with it. I think we talked, right. you know, we've talked about this before that at a certain point, you know, after you can kick the shit out of people, what are you going to do with it? And if it already makes a great container to um, do these pr meditation practices, quote unquote, uh, why not? Especially if you I think Bagua especially, oh, sorry, but I, I was just going to say Bagua especially has that with uh, repetitive circles. And in the history, the founder, Dong Ai Chun, was well known for being a meditator, which isn't necessarily true for the other arts. So there's there's always this special connection between Bagua is kind of the most mystical of the internal martial arts because of that. Yeah, it, it's the most um, uh, purely Taoist, if you will, and, and it, it doesn't have as much of the influence of uh, the other stuff where it it keeps this I Ching uh, structure going, you know, where. Right. To which you can take advantage or not, depending on if you feel like it. And some schools aren't interested in it. Some are. That's that's the bottom line. I think one of the things in Bruce's book, he says, 
look, I was looking for the meditation within Bagua for a long time, and most people weren't doing it. As a matter of fact, almost none of them were doing it. It was only a few of his teachers that had that yeah. and were interested in it and capable of doing it and cared about it. On this same topic, Marshall Cultivation Journal, uh, Ben speaks to it here by saying, Chang knew enough about his teacher's past to realize that there was some connection between the actual study of Taoism and the initial creation of Bagua. Further, he suspected that this happened in Sichuan province, and so he advised his better educated and prepared student to focus his search for answers on Taoism and to look in the Southwest. If his journal had not been destroyed during the Cultural Revolution, we would probably have a detailed understanding of Sun Ludong's investigation. However, we do know some critical facts. He did, he visits uh, Mount Erme, Mount Wudong before the turn of the century. He learns Qigong, he learns Taoism. Um, we, he may have started to integrate his own theories on Taoism into his martial arts at this period, but we have no evidence that directly testifies it. It's only after Sun moves to Beijing in 1910 that we start to have really well-attested evidence that his synthesis of Taoist theory and martial practice was matured into a form that would currently that would we would currently associate with his teaching. So, in other words, ten years after the death of his teacher, he's in Beijing, starting this movement to come to bring forward internal martial arts, and that's when he really starts laying out these uh, Taoist theories in association with martial arts. Well, this was an ongoing thing. Uh, we've talked about Li Zhenyi and Zhang Zhaodong being part of a group that was promoting martial arts and organizing martial arts and publishing martial arts books. Uh, for example, in one of the books on Xing Yi, the guy opens the book up with a, sort of a shout to shout out to Sun Ludong and says, I wrote this book because there weren't that many books out there, but you can also go read Sun Ludong's book. Mm. And it's just one of those things of like, even back then they were, so there, if you, there aren't that many of them. So you right. can, there's only so much you can. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So I wanted to pull another thing from Ben's writings here, where he says uh, he's talking about these new kinds of martial arts schools where they're, they're trying to make a shift from the old days of the Qing dynasty when martial arts knowledge was closely held. There weren't really many books being published and schools were keeping to themselves there's this, this opening up that takes place in the 1910s and 20s. And pulling from Marshall Cultivation Journal, it says, an entirely new set of non-lineage-based institutions began to emerge in the urban areas of China between 1910 and 1928. The hallmark of these groups was a call for national salvation through martial arts education. They published martial arts, called for reform. They were calling for an end to secrecy and superstition. They published lots of newspaper and magazine articles on how hand-to-hand -hand combat training was compatible with modern life. Every city of at least uh, every city had a few of these modern martial arts federations. A classic example might be the Tianjin China Warrior Society, which did much to popularize and spread Xingyi throughout Hebei and published a few of Sun Ludong's books. So, that, so I think we've run across that Tianjin Warrior Society right, before, right? Right. That's the that's the sister group to the esteeming the Marshall Society, which is the one in Beijing. Um, so there are these groups. They were they were all started by the guys we've talked about before. Han Musha, Zhang Zhengkui, uh, uh, Li Zhenyi. Those were sort of the, the founding members um, of this group. Uh, They're spreading 
internal martial arts and Son Ludong is involved. Now, I, we can't say for sure, but I have a feeling that it, that Grandmaster Liu Hongjie must have somehow been involved with these societies or associations because he got to train with a lot of the guys who were founding members of these. Yeah. So he must have somehow, maybe he was a student, maybe he <clears throat> was hanging out with people who were students. I, I can't say 100%. Well, these were the... He's right in the middle of it somehow. Yeah, these were the precursors to what later became what they call Guoshu Guan, which were the government-sponsored martial arts schools in the 30s. And those were sort of based on these original schools were more, you know, they weren't so government. They weren't government. They weren't that official. Right? Yeah, they weren't, they weren't government-sponsored, but they definitely had this element of nationalism and fighting foreigners was a big theme and uh, so it just kind of built up over the years and and this the origins of it was in like about 1910-1912 and then just as, over the next you know whatever 20 years it it really blossomed and that's why they always refer to the 1920s as the golden age of internal martial arts because that's when these guys were doing this synthesis of all hanging out together trading ideas trading you know cross training with each other publishing books promoting it doing these events these tournaments where they beat up big russian guys and all of this stuff was all part of this this movement of and and that's what you know, Leo was a little kid growing up in this stuff. And so, of course, he was drawn to it. I mean, who, right. who wouldn't I mean, be? You know? <laughs> he's in Beijing. So that's that's kind of the center of where a lot of this is happening. And he's right in the middle. Right. Of it. So he's not with Sun Lu Dong and uh, Zhang Zhaodong. He's with Li Sun Yi. Shang Yun Shang. Shang Yun Shang. Thank you. So that that whole group was the, you know, they, they but but for example, Jun Yun Ding, who was originally part of the Li Sun Yi group. He went and did Bagua with Sun Lunong. Right. So there's cross connections all across. I mean, it's a, it's a whiteboard web. It's a whiteboard (laughs) with red string. And it's just, I mean, it goes so deep. It's, it's kind of a bit overwhelming at times, but. Right. There's a lot of, a lot of names, a lot of dates, a lot of people. And we've, as we've been doing, we're just scratching the surface. You know, we've, yeah, we're just learning as we go, as we, dig and find more and more connections between different teachers and different lineages um it's a really really vast study and i think there's even much obviously there's tons more in chinese that we've never had a chance to even look at so it's uh we're just enjoying the journey of learning about all these different schools and and how they interconnect i wanted to throw in one more thing from martial cultivation journal that highlighted part of sun ludong's teachings that we've been talking about um about sun ludong's books His books were not only beginner's guides to boxing, they were also a basic introduction to practical Taoism. Sun believed that the inner instinct employed to anticipate and react in boxing was of the same root as the way in Taoism. This method of anticipating and dealing with change was a creation of the ancient sages who in turn created the first internal boxing methods. These methods depended on a highly developed sense of intuition and encouraged the flow and transformation of qi unlike external forms of boxing that relied only on brute muscular strength. So this paragraph is pretty interesting. It it really reminds me of some of the stuff we've trained where the idea of this inner instinct that where you anticipate and react, that reminds me of the concept we learned about sheen, the heart mind, the sort of inner 
inner awareness that's deeper than your surface mind where you're interacting and understanding like energies in an intuitive way. He's comparing that to the Tao, the way of Taoism. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, this is where, you know, Bruce teaches from this perspective almost exclusively, right? This is the, uh, this is what I grew up in, if you will. Uh, right. From the age of 17, I kind of was indoctrinated into this idea that it's, <laughs> it's all based on chi. It's all based on layers of energy that exist in nature. And you're just kind of trying to move in harmony with those forces, right? And I think a lot of people kind of stumble into this idea because it's uh, the easiest way to explain something that's pretty much unexplainable. Mm, Dao but, is the the Dao can't be spoken right, of, right? And and the feeling you get when you're doing martial arts and things just quote unquote happen. And you're not really aware of it consciously, but you're aware of it enough that you're moving with it and in control of it is very similar to the feeling you get when you're meditating and you're getting closer and closer to that ever elusive doubt, right? So I think the parallel lends itself really well to uh, Mm -hmm. making a link between the two right like it's not that hard to say okay well if i'm doing that same thing here i could probably do it over here um and taoists were just one of the first cultures to really go for that whole idea and just really push it you know mm -hmm. and i i think uh what he's pointing out here on ben's website he's he's really emphasizing how uh, the connection between internal martial arts actually helped revive interest in Taoism. He says here that Sun's books not only helped to spread and popularize Tai Chi and Bagua, they also helped to reignite the public interest in Taoism more generally. More specifically, he helped to popularize the sort of breathing exercises that would later become the Qigong of the 1950s. Mm. So yeah, it's interesting to think that it was martial arts, not, not unlike now where people will take martial arts and get interested in Asian culture and philosophy Maybe this isn't so different. Back then, it was like using martial arts is actually bringing interest into the into the religion and uh, spirituality. Hey, folks, Isaac here. Uh, we'll continue this discussion in our next episode and probably a few after that. I uh, hope you've been enjoying our little journey into Sun Ludong. Uh, until then, you can check out our Instagram for images, uh, like and subscribe, leave us a view review on iTunes, and take care of yourself. Thanks for listening.